This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having a friend of mine for many years, Jeff Schneider, join us. He is a venture capitalist. He is also a seasoned operator, which uh, brings a mix of, uh, of passion, talent, understanding good opportunities, and then actually executing on those opportunities to create big companies. So, Jeff, welcome to Halo Talks. Thank you. Thank you. So you're a... Uh, you're, you're a fellow uh, Northeasterner, so you want to give your uh, your illustrious background, and then we'll uh, we'll riff from there. Yeah, no problem. So thanks. Um, yeah, I've been doing so. I've I've been an investor or an operator, one way or another, uh, honestly, for the past almost thirty years. Early part of my career was a multiple time entrepreneur in you know some growing companies, mostly technology companies through the '90s and into early 2000s, and then um, succeedingly started to build a few from our ideas and started to back them with my own money uh, and through a small angel network that I put together in the early 2000s. Uh, by 2003 or so, I had met and been um, really influential uh, family office that uh, I, I can't talk about their names, but a multi-billion dollar family office. And worked with them and still to some degree maintain unbelievable relationship with them on their allocation strategy to private investments. And so learning a lot about what a family or a large um, individual investor versus an institutional investor was looking for at the time, I put two and two together and I started Kava in 2006, really to take advantage of what I saw was a shift in uh, capital moving from big, big funds to individual deal flow uh, and, and, and both. So whether that was co-investment or that was direct investment at the time was really unknown. Today, it's a little bit of both. And so we just started doing deals. And, and obviously, uh, 2007, 2008 was a, was a tough skid for anybody trying to raise a fund. So we just did SPVs, much like you guys have done forever. Mm-hmm. And we got pretty good at it. And so over the last 14 years, we've done you know, about 35 transactions, um, every one of them, uh, about 17 companies, so multiple transactions in some companies. You know, the difficulties of running an SPV are, are, are well known, so I won't go into them here, but we learned a lot of great things, built a, a pretty good LP investor network, uh, have learned uh, a lot about, you know, how to, how to really capitalize on what we call the Kava Studio strategy, which is bringing true operational talent uh, and jumping into some of these companies when you have to. Uh, and so we we formalized that, archety- that architecture sometime in about the 2014-13-14 area. And frankly, for the last five years, my partners and I, we've been investing mostly in companies that we either found ourselves, um, we partner with an entrepreneur that we've known for years in an area we know, and we play executive chairman or like a co-founding position, or we'll buy a technology or, or an idea and we'll morph it into something else with a team that we know. So we call that Kava Studio. It's a fairly unique way to actually do venture. Uh, it's not a spray and pray model. By, by definition, it's actually a fairly concentrated model, but we find it more satisfying personally, but also from a return standpoint, we believe it actually leads to much better outcomes, whether you can de-risk a company uh, and or accelerate them. We believe we can have an effect on that since we've been fairly successful. For that, in many cases, we receive, meaning Kava receives um, zero cost equity. So we'll get founder shares or common shares that we then 
give uh, much of that to our investors. So they get an extra turn of capital um, when there's an exit that they didn't have to pay for just by us actually doing that that work up front. And, you know, the founders have to be people that trust us and understand the concept, but um, they're looking for, many cases, they're looking for business co-founders anyway. And so uh, we've done that about five times. And so we're raising, uh, finally going to go out and raise a pooled capital fund here. You know, it's relatively small, but concentrated pooled capital fund, 40, 40 or so million, and we'll do eight or 10 deals. We have actively been investing in, in the Halo area for the last you know four to five years i've been the founder of a of a boutique fitness uh, wellness company called called limber that uh, we have multiple locations doing personalized stretching and major investor in in fit lab um, which is a holding company of uh, of really interesting iconic brands in the fitness space and freeletics which is the number one digital fitness app in europe also nxt water which is a, uh, a really interesting play in the CBD flat water space. So I've made uh, a number of investments already here. Some of those will be warehoused and uh, we're pretty excited about where this uh, is going. And, and honestly, post COVID, we actually think it's a, a very interesting place to invest. Uh, and also we, we have a, we think there's an inherent COVID discount right now. So uh, trying to take advantage of all of that. Got it. So, you know, let's take a step back and say I'm an entrepreneur and I'm coming to pitch you and I, I know what your background is and I know what you've done with other companies. You know, what what are some of the things that you're looking for from me as an entrepreneur to bring to the table versus what you can plug and play, you know, through the Kava studio or through your operational um, you know, additions that you can make to my team? Because I, I assume some entrepreneurs might kind of exit themselves out of the strategy because, you know, they might say, this is my baby. I'm just looking for capital. And that, and there's a place for that. But here it's kind of like an entrepreneur who realizes, Hey, for me to get my probability of success increases, maybe my equity percentage decreases, but net net, I'd rather have a small percentage of a much bigger pie. And you've got examples to show where, where that model works. Yeah, I mean, I think you just nailed it, Pete. I think, um, look, what a great entrepreneurs really want, right? They, we believe in having spent many years being entrepreneurs ourselves that they want to grow their businesses the right way. They don't want to, they don't want unmitigated sort of growth at any cost kind of strategy, right? That that there are some businesses where that's fine, and and they'll go and they'll take, you know. Hundred million dollars from venture firm X, Y, or Z, and that's great. And you know, if that's the shoot the moon strategy that they want, then then we're probably not for them. But many, many, especially returning entrepreneurs, find that that's actually not the way they want to build a business. Secondly, they want investors to focus on what's best for their company, not necessarily for the portfolio, right? That you don't just fall into this kind of like, oh, I'm one of 20, and if one wins, great. The others, who cares, right? And so they want things that are focused on their company. They don't want the goat rodeo, as I call it. Um, they don't want to be overcapitalized either because, you know, they're, they're diluted, dilution sensitive. I mean, all of us are dilution sensitive. And so why overcapitalize a business if you don't have to? They want to deliver returns to their investors, right? But they also understand that, as I said, the shoot the moon billion dollar outcome or bust is not the only way to do that. There are multiple models to deliver returns. And that means that if you just look at the data, the average deal, fund, venture funded deal, 
hasn't changed on an exit percentage. I mean, exit basis for, for, you know, 25 years, it's still right around the 70 to $80 million exit. So how do you capitalize a business, get the right ownership and still have an outcome at 70 to $80 million. That's going to make money for everybody in the equation, right? If you overcapitalize, you're never going to do that. Right. So it leaves you one strategy, which is go shoot the moon. And so great entrepreneurs don't believe in that. And then I guess for first-time founders, they're looking to fill gaps, right? They have skill set issues, and so they're looking for a co-founder anyway. It could be product, it could be um, business, um, but they're looking for uh, capabilities that early-stage um, companies need in development of, of, of that part of their company. And then for seasoned entrepreneurs, they want a coordinated and, and truly responsive board of directors, and that's something we've filled many times. So we deliver all that. We're experienced owner operators. We, we concentrated our capital um, in both people and dollars on fewer projects, right? And we don't take, I mean, honestly, we don't take a lot, sort of a, what we call a loss model into, a, into effect. A lot of venture capitalists, they build in zero to their model, right? Because they say it's a, you know, two in 20 or one, one in one in 10 kind of proposition. We think that it's really hard to recover from zeros. Not that it's not going to happen, but we don't model for it, right? So we think of every project as, as you know, hopefully being successful. We are efficient allocators of capital. We're flexible on, you know, to participate throughout the process. We don't have to, but we can. And so we don't have any hard, fast rules around that. Our process, our studio process, we know reduce the risks of the venture because it accelerates growth. We help business development, much like you do, Pete, and your team. We help in strategy. We help in actually, you know, bringing on people and technologies to uh, help accelerate or de-risk that um you know, that business, therefore, we think re reduces the need for overall capital spend and therefore less dilution. And so when you take an operational leadership role in your project, whether that's executive chairman or CEO, in many cases, you know, it, it's, it, we're not working their day to day, but we're super involved. You provide that hands on <laughs> skill and, 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 it, and it really helps the um, underlying entrepreneur. So so with this new fund, you know, give us a, a lens on what you think. Um, you know, are you going to be investing in companies where an entrepreneur comes in and it shows you a PowerPoint of like, hey, this is what I want to create. And I basically started with a white piece of paper. Are you going to, you know, look at companies, let's say, you know, when the boutique sector kind of, you know, reemerges after the, we have a vaccine and we forget about sheltering in place? You know, OK, I got one location. I got really good unit economics. I figured out the model and I figured out the frustration that I'm solving and I need someone to help me scale it. Yeah. I'm assuming you're going to leave the later rounds to other people. Cause you're a guy who likes to tinker with and kind of, you know, take, take a piece of clay and turn it into to a business. So, so give us a little lens on that. Yeah. I mean, all of the above, we're not, we're definitely not late stage investors. I mean, you know, $40 million fund, you can only do so much. However, all of our investors will have co-investment rights. Um, and we're going to try to make sure that those happen virtually every deal because, you know, we know that some of these companies want and need extra capital at certain points. Right. And so if we're not going to be able to do it through the fund. We'd rather have our friends who are already investors in us do that. It's better to have the people, you know, versus the people you don't know. Right. Cause then again, you're avoiding all that, what I call goat rodeo stuff, which is the, the board meetings when you just have five groups that all have differing 
opinion about what they're trying to get out of that investment, right? But yeah, we'll do seed, literally seed, where it's like the first thing. They, they these guys have a great idea. They're, they they need a co-founder to help them move from point X to point Y, and we're going to own a lot of that ultimate, you know, what what we would call the the early stage risk. But we get paid for that early stage risk in those shares. We will gladly do that. In many of those cases, it will be our own idea. But in other cases, it will be um, only you know a, a kind of a, a co-founder role, and, and some, and then and then there are those which are less um, um, less you know early, early, early stage, and it will be you know one physical location or I don't know uh, you know five thousand users in a, in, in a digital application and. It's really now about taking the next jump. They've they've done you know X Y and Z and and they really need help scaling the business. So it could be there too. And um, you know I think the limits of where we'll probably invest um, from the fund itself are right around that B round. You know uh, so C through B. Gotcha. You know one of the things that that we've been dealing with um, over the last ninety days and something that was brought up on another call that we did. We're, we're an investor in several companies and we've got a lot of entrepreneurs that, that are building businesses that are just kind of friends of the square. And it's kind of turned into a little bit of like an entrepreneurial therapy and entrepreneurs in general, you know, have to always be positive about their business to the, to the world because they can't show any weakness or else maybe their sales go away. Their customers get nervous. Their investors say, Hey, look, I don't know if I'm putting another dollar into this thing because you're giving me news that I'm not, comfortable with. However, the level of transparency that you get out of an entrepreneur allows you as an investor or as effectively their coach and mentor help make the right decisions and help also calibrate like what's really going on with the CEO of this business or what's really going on with this company. So how do you, you know, you've got a lot of experience working with entrepreneurs who are very passionate about what they're doing, you know, think they have a never fail or I'm not going to let myself fail which, you know, in some cases you can't control the uncontrollables. So how, how have you been able to kind of, you know, in your, or get yourself to the point where, look, I'm your investor. I'm kind of also your therapist. I'm also your friend. I also really want this company and you to succeed. And you, you got to be truthful with me. And I'm not going to hold that truth against you. Yeah, I mean, that comes from the basis of both the relationship that you form with that founder slash team from day one. So I'll just call it the trust factor. And then it comes from earning that, you know, that trust. And then there's the empathy factor. I mean, if you can't have um, a hard but truthful discussion about the state of the business and the state of the world and where they intersect, then you've got the wrong partner, right? So we were we state that fairly emphatically from the beginning. Hey, if we're going to do this with you, like this is what our expectations are and this is what your expectations should be. You should ask that of us as well, right? So when it comes to cap, I mean, when you do SPVs, you know this better than anybody. Uh, Pete, it, it, you know, if the biggest issue is when am I going to get all my money, right? And so when I mean, you're raising it dollar by dollar, um, you know, you're like, look, I, I promised a million, I'm going to deliver a million or whatever the number is. So there's a trust factor there. And then empathy, it, having been in those positions, having gone through the hardest of hard nights and the best of best days, 
you have to be empathetic and you have to just be able to say, look, I get it. Like this is, this sucks. Like, um, but there are clearer days ahead. And if they're not, then we'll just make an adult decision. Right. And, 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 and we'll all move on. But at the end of the day, you know, I've never had a problem with, with those entrepreneurs. Now the toughest situations are when you know, the entrepreneur is probably not going to work out long term. That's the one that's the, the hard one, right? So, mm-hmm. and that again comes de- back to being honest and trust, uh, trusting, right? Where you can have a you can have a, a really hard but honest discussion with that person and say, "Look, this is what we've done together. I think you know. I, I think it's. I, I think it worked out for up to point point A, but it's not. And and you as an owner of the business, you have to put them in your shoes. You have you as an owner of the business." You want to see this succeed. So it'd be better for everybody if we have a discussion about how that's going to happen. And it may involve, you know, moving on from, from that person. And that, those are the really, really difficult discussions. And so, again, you have to treat them with care, trust, and empathy. I mean, it's an interesting point you, you, you said. And I, I remember a um, Netflix, they, they, uh, they had a uh, policy where you could work from home. Um, and... Uh, I think somebody was on medical leave and, and they stayed on medical leave for a couple of months to the point where they didn't really invite that person back because it was, it was a team, not a family. Mm-hmm. And the team kind of moved on and what they were doing was not vital to where the team had gotten. So they kind of, you know, as you see like an evolution of a business, you know, the person that was the entrepreneur that came up with the idea and actually got it from zero to five million, what gives them the skill set to go from five to 50? You know, only because they were the original founder. And typically, you got to either fill out the team with other people that have those skill sets. Um, and I've seen some entrepreneurs, and we've had some on the show that have said, you know, look, I got it to this point. Now I'm on the board. Now I'm doing something else. And those are the people that have such amazing self-awareness and um and could kind of check their ego at the door That's and you don't you don't find them that often because no. people think like this is my baby it's like yeah but at some point your kid goes to school at some point your kid goes to college right That's so like yeah and hopefully they do right and they don't stay in the same house so how do you think you know I, I, we kind of touched on it but you know do you sometimes I'm starting to think about having those conversations up front. Oh, we do. Every we do? Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. When you do a when you do a fund that's only going to do eight to ten deals, think about that. That's a you know that's not a lot. You know, the average fund, even if they're doing um, you know seed stuff, two hundred fifty thousand dollars checks, they're doing twenty deals because they're playing the sort of you know the spread. And I'm not poo pooing that. That's that's a strategy. It works fine. Mm-hmm. For us, it's that concentrated strategy means that every decision we make has an opportunity cost, right? <laughs> And so if you don't have that, and I think you, you build trust right from the beginning. And if, if we're not starting the project, which, you know, there's only so many ideas that I or my partners have, Bob and Anna or whoever, but at the end of the day, you got to have that conversation and say, look, I believe that the evolution of this company, this is my opinion, I'd be interested in yours, but it is X, right? Mm-hmm. And you are ideally suited to to do this part of here's my dog she she just nice friend um, anyway uh you, you know you're good for this piece and 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 the, and i see that 
not not to say you don't have a skill set to, to grow and beat Steve Jobs. There's only a couple of those ever in the history of the world, right? But you know what happens is you've got to you got to have a conversation with with them and just say, look, you know, you're good for this, but I'll, I'll invest in you as long as you can continue to do the things that uh, the company needs at that time. But you have an honest conversation up front, and you and you and you say, look, I think there's probably going to be a point in time where we're all going to uh, review what our uh, what our roles are, including us, by the way, because you know yeah. just. Just because we're an investor doesn't give us the right to be on the board forever or make decisions. You know, there's, there's things change. So um, and that's part of the problem. I, I don't mean to pick on any other firm. It's not my job. Um, but it's part of the problem with some of these businesses which have these really large boards or, you know, they have a, a board of multiple venture capitalists. You end up backing other venture capitalists. You're not really backing the company as much. So one, one venture capitalist might have a, a goal, you know, to exit this company in two and a half years because he or she needs a uh, a real win in their portfolio. And another one is already a, a made man. They've already, they've already had you know multiple funds which have returned carry, and so he or she just wants a home run or nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And then you got and then you got a, the worst situation might be on top of that you've got a guy who's really hungry, willing to do the work because he or she's trying to get to the next level in their career. They're not a partner, maybe they're. A, you know, a senior associate or a principal, and they're trying to get to the next level. And they're they're So you've got these three divergent needs and, and, and views of the world. And the last thing the CEO is, needs to do is babysit a board, right? And so you, you really got to set all these expectations up front. So mm-hmm. we tend to go into companies where we say, look, limit the board at first. There's always going to be a time when you can add people to the board, you know, focus on what's ahead of us. Let's get, you know, X and Y done before we do Z and then, and we can capitalize along the way. And then as we get to the point where Z is done, you may or may not be the person for that. And most of them have no problem with that. I mean, it's not always, but most of them. That that brings up something that I want to get your opinion on. Every time we get a business plan from someone and it's an early stage company. It shows like a zero and it is this hockey stick that goes through the roof. Right. And, you know, somebody came in the other day and, uh, you know, said, I'm going to build a thousand of these studios. I'm like, why don't you build like three? Let's see how it goes. Okay. Well, we're, we're in for the first three and you're doing an experiment. So let's see if the experiment works. And we'll be like your lead on your series a round. And, then we'll, let's talk about the future. But some of these VCs need to see like this hockey sticks that, that, that no one has any visibility on anyway. So it's almost like a joke. Like show me the frustration you're solving. Let me understand your business model. If I think the business model works, I can, you know, I'm talking for you now, you can layer, I'll layer on my expertise to optimize your, your revenue model and how are these things actually going to make money? Cause we're not, the, the investor in like Uber or some, you know, shoot the moon, you know, we're just going to burn money on marketing. Like we're going to help you build a real business that that's sustainable. So when you see somebody with the, you know, when you get to the financial projection page for a business, you know, how much time do you actually spend on it? And how much time do you just say like, all right, let me, let me understand how this thing works. And if it's novel and if it solves a frustration and then, well, I'll take it from here on what I think the business could be. So yeah, we spend a, <laughs> we spend a fair amount of time on the financial page for one reason only. It's an ins, it's a window into how the person thinks. Right. We don't we don't put any 
I mean, it's not we don't put any. We put very little weight in the projections because I've never met a company that's ever hit their projections from uh, pre-funding, right? Doesn't doesn't mean it doesn't make the company good. It, it could be great. What we pay attention to is where the unit economics look like they're going to be, right? Then I can do all the math, you know, and and start to say, all right, well, to your point, if we build two or three and things work out, guess what? It's a scalable business. The the, the unit economics, especially in fitness or in health. It, they're very simple. The same thing in technology, whether it's SaaS or it's you know it's your CAC or your CAC recovery. These kind of things are are, are, are industry accepted metrics that is is if you're collecting the data and you got it, let's see it. Let's talk about that, right? And then I can back into the the possibility for revenue and then capitalization based on revenue. Right. So, but it's a window. You want to see what their projections are. You know, at, I used to, I, I worked at Gartner in the early days and we had the same problems. We invented the, uh, the four, you know, the four quadrant model and everybody and their grandmother puts themselves in the upper right hand corner of the quadrants. That, that Gartner actually invented that years and years and years ago. So we used to say, if you weren't in the upper right hand quadrant, they don't even bother coming. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So there's only limited insight into that. What really matters is the thinking behind it and the assumptions. So one of the things that, that we always look for when we're doing deals is, does the person have the DNA behind the idea? Like we've gotten peppered with, um, you know, I'm going to do a cycling studio that has like hanging TRX, you know, aerial um, cycling in a frozen environment. I'm like, what, what, like, what, what do you, hold on a second. Like, did you have a personal frustration that this solved? Did you come up with this based on like some kind of scientific data? We did this awesome podcast the other day with these guys from Lasso Gear. And this guy came up with this awesome patented uh, compression sock. And he's actually a, um, an engineer who went to Georgia Tech who wanted to dunk a basketball. And the guy figured out like, okay, I understand biology. I understand mechanics. I understand that there's an elastic fiber in your ankle. And I'm like, okay, like I'll back this guy because he, he figured it out. Right. He's like the guy, I don't know how many fitness guys have a mechanical engineering degree from Georgia tech. Right. So that makes sense. But if somebody comes to me, who used to be an investment banker and says, I'm going to create this cool compression sock. I'll be like, what right do you have to be the compression technology guy? You know? So, you know, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to parse through, you know, who has the right to do something. I'm trying to invest in people that have the right to do something. So it's an interesting question. I, I, I don't know how I'd phrase it, but I think everybody has the right to do whatever they want, of course. But the question is, what are we going to back? Right. And so I, I tend to agree with you. Like, Credibility matters, right? You know, so um, we tend to look for businesses that are either backed in science or are, um, or the entrepreneur themselves has not only a viewpoint but um, a skill set and an experience that is relevant to the success of that business, and then ultimately, you know. Um, IP, if possible, right? So it doesn't have to be patents because patents, I think, are sometimes over um, analyzed. I think it's just it's it's intellectual property, right? And so, mm -hmm. um, so I agree with you. Like again, I'm going to go back to the we're only doing eight ten deals. You got to be you got to be harsh and critical about everything you look at, and that means we're going to miss some really good businesses. 
It's mm-hmm. okay. Like you can't live in the past and you can't, you can't sort of like, you know, look at the things I should have done. You got to look at the things you did do and make them as successful as you possibly can. And so I'd rather back horses that I either know because I've, I've done, done work with them in the past where they are significantly credible in the space that they're, you know, they're building. If you look at my portfolio, you know, I think it, it tends to ring true throughout. We're working on this really interesting new business that's in the, where machine learning and, and, and computer vision slash AI meets mental health through a through an app and you know a set of um, of services that will support it. This is a really big vision, right? But the people we have around it are world class, like you know, Brigham and Women's, Mass General, Harvard, MIT, people that have done spend their entire careers <laughs> in addiction and mental health. And, um, and the technology is just, I mean, it's not easy, don't get me wrong, but the technology is actually the easy part in this one, right? It's the human understanding of the human condition in that one to get it right, right? And there's no way that a guy who just doesn't have that acumen can do that. Just, I mean, very rare. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, so in closing here, why don't you, uh, you got a couple of good quotes that you either live by or people hear. That's a Schneiderism or a, a Kava takeaway. I mean, I, there's only one quote I live by, Pete. That's that's uh, that's Caddyshack quote. That's be the ball, Danny. I mean, it is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's all about uh, awesome. All about channeling channeling your inner, you know, your inner zing, whatever it is, because this is a hard business, folks, and um, you know when you're judged a little bit like baseball, you're sort of judged on a batting average that doesn't look all that good. We think we can be uh, marginally better. We actually know we can be marginally better. Um, it's about keeping calm in the face of adversity and not getting too uh, wound up when things are going great. You just gotta, you know, be the ball. <laughs> I like it. All right, let's end on that note and uh, look forward to uh, working with you and your partners down the road here. And let's, uh, let's go back some great entrepreneurs and build businesses that uh, solve loneliness, obesity, and anything else that we got to solve along the way. I love it. I love great it. Great to see you, buddy. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Talk yeah. to you soon. Give a shout out to my good friends at lassogear.com, L-A-S-S-O-G-E-A-R.com. I want to give you 20% off using the code Halo Talks on the best compression socks on the planet. I've been using them during the pandemic. My field goal kicking is further and stronger than it's ever been. Check out these socks. You'll love them. They got an L and an R to make it easy to put on each foot. Enjoy it. Trust me. You'll love them.